What can we do to fight back against big pharma and the compromised medical industry? We can become healthy and break free from the perpetual cycle of being poisoned by criminal organizations like most pharmaceutical companies. Come check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man, C60 Purple Power. The benefits of C60 have been personally outstanding. I use it every day and I feel incredible. I have tons of energy, I sleep great, and I haven't even come down with a cold since I started using C60 over two years ago. You can even get C60 for your pets. Do your own research, click the link in the description, and check out their website. If you order from that link or use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping. What is your health worth to you? Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Dr. Andrew Wakefield. First, I have a couple of announcements. I'm about to start traveling for the docuseries in a couple of months. I'll be headed through Texas and down to South Louisiana first, be visiting family while I do some filming. Like I said, this will be hopefully within the next couple of months, and I eventually want to be able to get across the United States and visit with as many of you as possible along the way. But I will need your help. If you would like to help in any way, you can go to supportfkn.com. I have a PayPal link in the description. Any donation is greatly appreciated. If you donate $5 or more through supportfkn.com, you get access to Corey Hughes' secret JFK forum with tons of amazing information going into his new book, which will be available soon. Check out our website, ForbiddenKnowledge.news. It's the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. You'll find some of your favorite podcasts from our community featured there. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Rockfin is where you get our premium content. You also get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin for only $10 a month. Go ahead and create yourself a free account. Get access to everyone's free content, including all our regular shows, just by going to rockfin.com slash FKN plus. That's R-O-K-F-I-N.com slash FKN plus to sign up now or click the link in the description. Today I want to welcome Dr. Andrew Wakefield. He is an academic gastroenterologist. He has published over 140 original scientific papers, reviews, and book chapters. He speaks internationally on autism and vaccines. And today we'll be discussing his film, Infertility, A Diabolical Agenda, which was produced by himself, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and Children's Health Defense. Dr. Wakefield, welcome. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks very much. Great to be on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it. We're in such a critical time right now. More and more people are becoming aware of the diabolical agendas that world governments, our medical and pharmaceutical industries, the media, and corporate interests are attempting to implement for extremely nefarious reasons, possibly large-scale infertility and even depopulation purposes. Now, you are one of the few healthcare professionals that ha actually have the courage to come and speak out and fight against this, what I call global death cult. Uh, this is your first time on, though. I want to start with more about yourself, your background, and what led you down this path really less traveled by today's physicians. Certainly, yes. Let me try and sort of sum it up uh, fairly succinctly. I 
graduated in medicine in 1981 at St. Mary's Hospital in London, which is part of the University of London. It was the biggest medical school in, in the world. And uh, I was entirely mainstream. Now, what does that mean? People think of mainstream medicine nowadays as one thing when it's not. It, mainstream medicine was an art as well as a science. And it was the art of taking a history from a patient, listening to the patient or the patient's parents, in the case of children, and the physical examination. Now it's changed. It's a matter of pharmaceutical industry-driven protocols, insurance-driven protocols. I was classically trained in medicine and trained to put the patient's story first and foremost, because therein lay the clue to what ailed them. So I went on to become a, a gastrointestinal surgeon, okay, a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons and a fellow of the Royal College of Pathologists, uh, with a specific interest in inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis, two somewhat enigmatic diseases, elusive in their cause, and, and something that uh, two diseases, two conditions that were growing dramatically in terms of the number of people affected. And then uh, I, I led a res big research team. There were about 19 of us working at the Royal Free Hospital in North London, again, part of the University of London. And uh, in late uh, March, sorry, May 1995, I got a call from a mother who said, my child was absolutely fine. I took him to be vaccinated. He had his measles, mumps, rubella, MMR vaccine. He had a, a seizure soon afterwards. He went to sleep. He woke up. He was never the same again. The lights in his eyes had gone out. He'd lost speech, language, socialization with his siblings. All the skills that he'd acquired had gone. And I said, how can I help? She said, well, my son has now been diagnosed with autism, an unusual form of autism, but one that is becoming very much more common. And that is where a normally developing child regresses into the autistic state. And I said, look, I know nothing about autism. It was so rare when I was at medical school one in 10,000 children, that we were not even taught about it. And she said, well, now there's an epidemic of this particular problem, and there are many, many children that I know of personally who are affected. And I said, well, why are you calling me? She said, I'm calling you, Dr. Wakefield, because my son has terrible gastrointestinal problems. At the same time that he regressed into autism, he developed these problems, and he failed to thrive, he was bloated, he was in pain, even though he'd lost the ability to speak and to articulate his pain verbally, I knew as a mother that he was suffering and in pain. And um, when I've talked to doctors about this, the mother would say, the mother said, they've dismissed everything. They've said, that's simply autism, get over it, put him in a home, forget about him, move on. It was a tragic situation, a complete uh, an utter failing of medicine to understand what it, autism is. And one of the big problems was that it had fallen into the hands of child psychiatrists. And psychiatrists see the world in a different way, as though the, the head is detached from the body and the two do not function as a single unit. Um, whereas we knew, for example, in gastroenterology, when a patient goes into liver failure, then they become encephalopathic. Their brain stops working properly. There is this gut-brain interaction. We know that patients with celiac disease can present not with gastrointestinal problems, but with uh, seizures or dementia or cognitive deficiencies in children. So this gut-brain interaction was not new to us. And so I put together a team of world-class physicians uh, and we investigated these children and the parents were right. And this is the fundamental rule. The parents were right. The children had intestinal inflammation. The children had regressed. They had been normal and they had regressed. And they, when we treated that intestinal inflammation with the kind of treatment that you would use for Crohn's or colitis, uh, with diet as well, gluten casein-free exclusion diets, then not only was there a dramatic improvement in the gastrointestinal symptoms, but there was a dramatic improvement in the autistic features as well. 
the children started using words that they hadn't used for five years. This is fascinating. It part went far beyond just this child is feeling better because they're out of pain, so they're able to function normally. This was something much more akin to, I don't know whether you remember, Lorenzo's oil, but that fascinating story right. of parents who found a treatment, albeit temporary, for their son. So the parents were right. And in fact, this has been the lessons throughout my coming to understand this condition of autism is that almost every single thing that my professional colleagues, whether they're psychiatrists or neurologists, have told me about autism has been wrong. And almost everything that I've learned from parents has been right. So it is really a fundamental reiteration of the, the, the basic rules, the basic tenets of clinical medicine is that you listen to the parents, often in this case, the mothers of these children who knew instinctively, intuitively what was going on with their children. And that was a, a situation we were then presented with a scenario where I had a moral and professional obligation to investigate the vaccine association. These parents were anti-vaccine. They'd taken their children to be vaccinated on time, according to the schedule. And this, what they're merely reporting is what had happened to their children after that. And so um, at that stage, there was a, there was discord amongst my colleagues. Uh, my colleagues said to me, we cannot be seen as pediatricians to question the safety of MMR vaccine. Well, that didn't make any sense to me. Um, that was not a medical or a scientific perspective. That was a kind of how will my colleagues perceive me? You know, uh, will will I lose my respectability if I... That was irrelevant. Didn't matter. Right. What about the child sitting across the table from you whose life has been destroyed? So it was an easy choice for me that I don't work for the pharmaceutical industry. I don't work for public health. I do work for that child and that family sitting across the desk whose life has been ripped from them, has been destroyed. And I have an obligation to get to the bottom of that story. So... That was the road that I took. And at that time, the dean of the medical school, who was heavily funded by the pharmaceutical companies, said to me, if you continue this vaccine safety work, you will, it will not be good for your career. And I suppose in that respect, he was absolutely right. It wasn't good for my medical career. If you offend the drug companies, if you offend the British government and the World Health Organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the CDC, the NIH, the FDA, if you offend these people, UNICEF, it goes on and on and on, then there is no price that you will not pay. And so, and I don't say that to, to, as a sort of sorry tale for Andy Wakefield. I, it's been a privilege to do what I've done. Uh-huh. It's simply an historical fact of life. This is what it was. And at the time, cancel culture was unheard of. So current circumstances we're in with COVID, for example, are very, very different to the way the world was then. And so it, my career took a, a different turn. And uh, I came to America in professional and political exile and, and continued my career here. And that's, a, that's another story. Yeah. Uh, now, since, since then, are you surprised about the the level that we've reached since that time and the speed that we've gotten there and the way that everything has unfolded since uh, COVID started, since these agendas started rolling out in 2020. It seems like uh, they put a very high priority on rolling a lot of this stuff out very quickly, and we're living in a completely different world now. Uh, did you think this would happen as, as quickly as it did? Well, the potential for it to happen was always there. And let me characterize why. And this, people may not realize how we came to be in the situation we're in now. But this is captured in a film that I made called 1986, The Act. In 1986, Reagan signed into law the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And that came about through a deception from the pharmaceutical companies. In fact, the manufacturers at that time of the wholesale pertussis, the whooping cough vaccine. And this was a vaccine that back in the 50s and 60s was causing, the 60s and 70s was causing severe brain damage and death in children. And they were getting sued. And they said to the government at the time, 
if you do not indemnify us against death and injury caused by our vaccines, then we will stop making them. Whooping cough will come back, children will die, and it'll be your fault. How do you feel about that? So the pressure was put by the pharmaceutical companies, Wyeth and Bedley in particular, on the government at the time to provide them with indemnity, liability protection for death and injury caused by their products. No other industry enjoys that privilege. But because of the deception they wrought and the blackmail that went with it, uh, then that's exactly what the government did. They took away liability for everything but scientific fraud. So this company, these companies, the vaccine, the manufacturers of these vaccines now had the perfect business model. What they had was a mandatory market. Children had to have their vaccines to go to school and no liability. All they could do was make a massive profit and that's what they did. So with that massive profit came great power, not just within America, but globally, great power, great power, to buy the medical journals, to own the editorial in those journals, to buy the media, the mainstream media, to buy politicians, to write policy, to actually write vaccine policy, to own through by bribery or corruption, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, to own the government agencies that were there to regulate them, uh, to really become so powerful to buy medical schools, in, in effect, to buy the training of doctors. And so they became so wealthy and so powerful that they were able to do what they have been able to do with the COVID-19 shot. And that's why we are here, because the government has put into the hands of the pharmaceutical companies, the vaccine manufacturers, such power and such wealth that they are now able to operate in that way. However, and here is the point, is that COVID has been a major shock for them. Why? Because people have not gone along with their agenda. People have not. Let me put, characterize this. When I got involved in this 30 years ago, there were a handful of us, no more than a handful of us worldwide, who were prepared, and you've referred to this in your opening, were, no, were prepared to discuss this openly. Now it's more than half the adult world. That's where it's gone from and where it's come to. They didn't expect this. So that now the majority, the great majority of uh, US adults have not been compliant with the CDC's recommendations on the COVID shot. They've either not had the first dose or the second dose, or they've not had a booster. They are not compliant. That, in the words of the mainstream media, makes them anti-vaxxers. Right. They will say, oh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. But yes, you are, because you are defying the CDC's sort of edict on what you should do because you are not convinced that this vaccine is either safe or effective or indeed have suffered harm from it or have seen harm in a sibling or a, a friend or someone in the street that you know. So the, the world is turning against them. They overcalled it. They thought that they could take a public health policy and ram it down our throats and the public have responded in kind, and that has reset the balance of power dramatically. And so people should take great heart from that. We should, with beyond any question, retain our bodily autonomy to be able to say what goes into our bodies and what goes into the bodies of our children and not have it handed to us by quasi doctors like Tony Fauci and politicians and others with a vested interest in the profitability of these vaccines or the benefit that comes, the apparent benefits that come with them. People, a lot of people have been misled. Let's not, let's, you know, that's very sad. A lot of people will have bad outcomes from these shots. That's very sad. Um, but they, they, they did a very bad thing and all of that is now emerging. And we've seen just in the last few days, Tony Fauci's gone. He's resigned. Uh -huh. He's resigned. He could not survive under the pressure that he was facing. And the problem for a career bureaucrat like Tony Fauci operating in the health field is that he will have upset a lot of people along the way. And those people, it's going to be the night of the long knives for Tony Fauci because there are a lot of people seeking to 
you know, to, to get revenge for the things that he's done to them oh, over man, the course I, of his career. I can't imagine so, being a lot of these people after this, the, the dust settles when all this, um, in a few years, whenever people realize and, and fully realize what they've been through. Um, I do agree we are living in a very important time. There's a lot of people waking up to this. I still see a lot of work that we have to do. But uh, like you and I both said in the introduction, people like yourself are coming out and actually exposing these agendas. You made a very important film, Infertility, A Diabolical Agenda, uh, which was made by yourself, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and Children's Health Defense. Um, I'd love it if you could give us a synopsis of that film. Certainly. I, just as a little background, over the years, people had asked me at the end of lectures, do you believe that with all this vaccine injury, there's a deliberate policy of depopulation? Or are they deliberately trying to hurt our children, render them infertile? And it seemed to me a very clumsy way of going about it until we, I was finishing up 1986, the act, and my editor brought to my attention some footage that had been shot, incidentally, in East Africa. Now, the person shooting the footage, James Henry, um, was making another film called Planet Lockdown about the COVID issue. But along the way, he had caught some footage, made, done some interviews of doctors who'd been involved in unearthing the anti-fertility vaccine uh, catastrophe that had been sweeping the, the third world for the developing world, countries like Kenya. And I was shown this footage because they wanted it, me to make it into a story. Now, there's a great danger as a filmmaker in taking someone else's footage and their story, and it wouldn't necessarily have been shot in the way you've shot it, or the questions wouldn't have been asked in quite the same way. Nonetheless, this was such a compelling story that I felt it absolutely had to be made. And it answered a lot of the questions that have been put to me over the years, including the fact that the deliberate, the intentional creation of an anti-fertility vaccine had been on the agenda of the World Health Organization at least since the early 70s. And they'd commissioned Dr. Talwar from New Delhi in India to experiment in the production of an anti-fertility vaccine. And by the early 90s, he'd succeeded. Now, there was no secret about this. It was widely published. Um, and, and so shame on me for not having read those publications that alerted me, would have alerted me to the, the reality of this situation. So I, having established that there was this deliberate anti-fertility program, um, the, the allegation was that this had been without any informed consent, this had been inflicted upon women in developing countries in particular in East Africa, in Kenya. And so we now had some doctors from the uh, Catholic Doctors Association in Kenya. And just to characterize that, people should realize that in East Africa, the, uh, the Catholic Church is a major healthcare provider. And so if they raise concerns about a possible vaccine being used to render women infertile or abort a successful pregnancy, which was the allegation, then th their voice will be heard. They're very important. And so that was the allegation, that this was not only being used clandestinely in East Africa, this anti-fertility vaccine in women of childbearing age, without their consent, but they were being deliberately lied to, misled into believing that they were taking part in an anti-tetanus vaccine program to protect their unborn child. So it was not only a violation of the rules of informed consent for patients, voluntary prior informed consent with all the risks and the benefits explained so that people can make the right decision, but they were being lied to and told that they were part of a tetanus, a neonatal tetanus eradication program. And if that were true, that was a very, very serious thing. That was the allegation. So then we went into the allegation and conducted interviews with people who had been part of this program, who had uh, been part of analyzing the vaccines to demonstrate whether or not there was this anti-fertility component to it. And I won't go into the details. I'll leave this for people to see when they watch the film, which is free and available. It's half an hour. It's a short movie. 
and it's available on infertilitythemovie.com or infertilitymovie.org. So infertilitythemovie.com or infertilitymovie.org. And um, it was subsequently proven uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that the government had not only conducted this clandestine campaign, but had lied about doing it afterwards and had then gone on to try and cover it up, to conduct frank scientific fraud in covering up the corruption. And so the while this has been out there as a question for a very long time, this story resolves it. It brings it to its natural conclusion. Who was right? Who was wrong? Who was honest? Who was dishonest? Who was lying? Who was telling the truth? Who was the villain and who was on the side of good? And that's the importance of this story. It, it, it was an extraordinary story. And um, we shall have to see where it goes from here. We've had no feedback from the World Health Organization who were intimately involved in this or the Kenyan government. But uh, that doesn't surprise me. And we're just starting to learn as a collective that what exactly d diseases are, what uh, viruses are. We've been lied to about everything regarding our healthcare industry and, and the pharmaceuticals and that these industries are basically here to keep us in a state of perpetual sickness. They're not here to help us cure anything. But when it comes to vaccines, there is uh, seemingly many different agendas in the background going on when it comes to different types of vaccines. I want to get your insights into how long this has been going on and has it been since the onset of the very first vaccine, polio? Yes. I mean, people... In the opening of the film, 1986, The Act, we deal with this polio issue, and it's a very good one for you to raise because people will say, what about polio? What about, you know, vaccines must be good because look at what polio vaccine did. So we take this issue on right up front, and we put the story in the hands of a husband and wife having their first baby late in life, very, very precious pregnancy, and the question becomes, as it is for every family around the world with young children, what do we do about vaccination? Particularly given he says this and they say that and who's, who's right and who's wrong. And the opening argument from him, she, when she says, what do we do about vaccination is what about polio? And he walks out the room and slams the door as though that's it. That's the end of the debate. He's won because he was the first to mention polio. And then we go into the truth about the polio vaccine. And one of the worst polio outbreaks with paralysis and death in this country was in fact from the pharmaceutical companies, was from the vaccine manufacturers who were meant to be making the inactivated polio vaccine and were allowing the injection of live polio virus into children. And it caused havoc. And the people who manufactured the vaccine, the man Salk who invented the vaccine knew that these vaccines were contaminated and he allowed it to continue and for children to be harmed and die because he did not want people to be aware of the fact that his vaccine might be anything less than perfect, the best thing man had ever done. So from the very beginning, there has been this cover-up of the problems of vaccines, the distortion of the evidence. And this, for anyone who wants to go and research it, is called the, was called the Cutter Incident, C-U-T-T-E-R, out of Oakland, California, and it's characterized uh, fully in the film 1986, The Act. So nothing is what it seems. And this comes to the point that you're making. We have been deceived all along, including with COVID, the idea that there were no available treatments. For them, for the industry to get a, um, uh, the approval to use it, the emergency use authorization to use this vaccine, there could be no successful treatment. That's one of the rules. Okay, so if there were any successful treatments that had been shown scientifically to work, then they could not issue this emergency use authorization, which would get them liability protection and put them on the road to getting a market for this license, uh, a license for this, this vaccine. And so it had to be from Fauci down, 
a vaccine and vaccine only agenda. And so patients were denied drugs which are known and have been known for some time through the science to be protective, like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. These were denied. The World Health Organization said in its own paper, 80% of people who died could have been saved if this treatment had been available. But it could not be available because it would have meant they didn't get emergency use authorization for the vaccine. And that's what they wanted. It didn't matter to them how many died. They didn't care. They wanted the vaccine to hit a home run and to make a lot of money. So we have been lied to throughout, and it's now emerging. It's now coming to people's attention. It's becoming obvious. As we see young people collapsing and dying on soccer fields, on football fields, in you know basketball games, wherever it may be, mm-hmm. these are people who should never have died. We're at the least risk of dying, and now we're seeing it everywhere. So we've been misled. Some people will never come to terms with that. Some people will. Some people were already of that mindset. But it's a tragedy, an absolute tragedy. But it was a great, I hesitate to use the word reset for the world. It was a great reset for the human perception of what what it is we're dealing with. And this is why we now have more than half the adult population of the world on our side questioning the safety of the vaccine, questioning the, the the claims that have been made about these vaccines because they no longer believe or trust in what they hear from the government. Through bite-sized epic reworks of Edward Grieg, George Friedrich Handel, Richard Wagner, and many more, the Ostrogothic Fantasy Orchestra has released a new album, Watch the Vatican, which is available now. Watch the Vatican includes 13 drummed-up tracks and will introduce the world of classical music to both young and old. Music is a great way to awaken sleeping souls and raise anyone's vibration to the next level. So head over to gothokestra.com to listen now. If you like what you hear, consider purchasing a digital copy of the album on Bandcamp. That's gothokestra.com, G-O-T-H-O-C-H-E-S-T-R-A.com. And keep in mind, the monogram of the nine is with us all the way. Now, was this, of course, there's always been tons of money to be made at these higher levels when they, with these corporations and, and companies dealing with this and even politicians. But it's not just about the money. There are underlying nefarious agendas going on. Uh, you know, of course, the, there's speculation of depopulation agendas uh, and everything kind of stemming from that. Uh, based on your research and what you what you've uncovered, what do you think that these agendas are about? I think there there are many. They operate on various levels. But let me say from the outset that there are many people involved in the administration of these shots, any shots, people, nurses, uh, healthcare workers, uh, who genuinely believe that what they're doing is the right thing because they've been told. So that's not the problem. The problem is that they've well, the problem is that they've not questioned it to the extent they should have done, but they do believe genuinely in what they're doing. The problem comes for those who have a different agenda, whether that's profit or some sort of quasi-religious belief in the merits of vaccination or depopulation or whatever it may be. But just to give you an example, I think Moderna have churned out five billionaires from their vaccine program. Uh, there is a lot of money to be made. And that, for all these corporate executives, is incredibly tempting. It's what they care about. They don't care about the longevity of the company or whether this is going to go to court because it was fraudulently misused and dangerous uh, five years later. They don't care. They've moved on. They've made their money. They've moved on. Okay, So you have to get into the, the mindset of these corporate. We, you know, one of the perennial questions that comes up is, how could they do it? How could they do this? And it's one that man has posed for years. People ask me, how could they do it? It's not a question for me. I don't know. It's a question I want to ask as well. How could you do it? How could you behave like this? How could you? And, and greed is a large component of that. Um, 
I'm quite sure, but it, it, it's something that I've been asked many times and have been a, unable to fully articulate because it's I'm not on that side of things. I don't see the world in the same way. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, well, earlier you mentioned uh, the all the new epidemics we're seeing, all the new uh, sudden fatal death syndromes and cardiac symptoms and athletes dropping dead and all these people that are suddenly dying for seemingly no reason or uh, new reasons that we've not ever heard of. I don't remember ever going growing up in elementary school or high school and having to worry about heart attacks or my team or uh, people in my class uh, having dropping dead for no reason. This is something that just did didn't happen whenever I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. And all of a sudden, it's something that the newer generations uh, have to worry about. We're seeing in the news all the time. It actually coincides with everything we're seeing uh, with the time frame of people given vaccinations and boosters, which uh, seems to be a lit. It draws a few red flags, to, to say the least. Um, do you think that we're actually experiencing more death than we're being told from uh, the media from these vaccines? Very, very many. More. Absolutely. I've had so many reports of people who said to me, one man dying at the moment, tragically, and this, this will never be put down to a vaccine reaction, even though the doctors have secretly, one or the nurse on one side have said, look, yes, you're right, this is due to the vaccine. It will never be documented as that because they do not want it to be. They do not want to enter, enter it into the vaccine adverse events reporting system. It's time consuming. They don't get paid for it. It brings it to, they've been told not to. Don't ascribe this death to COVID. It doesn't matter what, whether it's caught COVID or not. Do not ascribe it to COVID because, you know, that goes against what we've been told. And so uh, many, many people are operating in this way and it's it's tragic to see my medical colleagues behave like this but that is what is happening and the other side of it is that many good doctors are coming out against it okay so when i said that you know there were very few of us 30 years ago now there are thousands and thousands and thousands a number growing every day of doctors who said you know what enough patients are dying all around me and you the hospital management are telling me to cover it up not to mention the vaccine. I'm sorry, this is way beyond um, the, the, the lengths that I'm prepared to go as a professional to compromise myself. I'm out of this. And they're, they're doing it. They're, they're pulling out, they're, they're making decisions in the interests of the patient and not in the interests of their employer. And, and, and they're paying a price for it, but that's changing. That is changing. And um, so all credit to them. I think it's inevitable. It's part of... You can only push people so far. And then these people, particularly the people with the higher moral standards, the higher professional ethical standards, will stand up and say, no, this is this is wrong and we will not be part of it. Well, uh, yes, I do see so many more people coming out and speaking out against this, uh, but you don't hear about it anywhere from our mainstream media or any, any forms of the media, really, because they are, of course, trying to suppress anything about this that people are on the, the right side of history and aren't falling for the agendas anymore. Uh, but unfortunately, it's a lot of doctors and professionals that do come out and speak out you don't hear from them again or, you know, something unfortunately may happen to them. Do you think that there are actually more people on the right side of this that than we could ever know about? Do you think that we're actually the majority? The, the people that are against these agendas are the majority. Yes, they are. And that's demonstrated by the failure to comply in the U.S. adult population, the failure to comply with the uh, adult mandates or the ad adult recommendations of the CDC, and then latterly people refusing to get it done on behalf of their children, despite the fact that the recommendations now extend to children. They're just saying, no, we're not doing this. So I saw a number the other day, that four and a half percent of children in the age group, the relevant age group, have been vaccinated in America against the CDC's recommendation of 100%. So that's clearly an, an absolute disaster for them. So it's out of the bag. The cat's out of the bag. There's no getting it back in. Um, and many, many professionals in particular are coming over to this side. People do not want to be on the wrong side of history. And so you're seeing some major sort of 
alternative media people, Joe Rogan and others, coming out and questioning this and saying enough is enough. You're seeing it now carry over into mainstream media. You're seeing Tucker Carlson and others questioning it openly. So there is a a real shift now, and it's unstoppable. It cannot be contained. Um, one of the big problems, and you referred to media and the influence of the pharmaceutical industry, is that in this country, we have this direct-to-consumer advertising. The drug companies can advertise directly to the consumer. Ask your doctor about this drug. I mean, we're all familiar with it. What we don't know, what many people don't know, is that 70, 75% of income to the nightly news networks from advertising revenues comes from the pharmaceutical companies. In other words, these news networks are dependent for their livelihood on the benevolence of these companies advertising. I don't believe they advertise to sell drugs as a primary source of income. I think it gives them the control of the editorial. If I take away my 70 to 80% of your income, you, you're going to cease to function as a news network. So you are dependent on me as a pharmaceutical industry to sustain that income and to sustain your role. And I think if we simply remove that direct consumer advertising, we would disempower the pharmaceutical companies enormously. And the mainstream media, no longer dependent on that income, would have to go back and report the news properly because they would be back in a competitive environment where people wanted to hear the real news. So I think that would be a very sensible way to go. Only two countries in the world do this, New Zealand and the US. Other countries frown on it. Not even the uh, American Medical Association want it. They don't approve of it. So here you have someone who's traditionally on the other side to the consumer now saying, we don't want this either. So that would be one way of, of disempowering, disenfranchising the pharmaceutical company. Do you think that this is going to be something that we will see more deaths in young children in the near future? Yes, I do. Sadly, I think that's what we're going to see. We've seen an apparent, and I say apparent because the one has to be careful about any numbers that are thrown out now. One has to have an inherent distrust of the statistics that we're fed on a daily basis. But an a dramatic increase in stillbirths and pregnancies not coming to term because the mother was vaccinated in deaths in children that should never have occurred. These children are at zero risk from the infection itself, zero risk of mortality. They catch the infection, but they deal with it differently. And so we're very familiar now with this age-specific risk of the infection. Children were at no risk, and we're seeing deaths in children following receipt of the, sh the COVID shots, and that is deeply alarming. Well, every day in the news, we're seeing them push for more and more younger children to go and get their boosters uh, and how the new boosters are protecting against this version of COVID and that version of COVID. It's pretty, uh, very nefarious, if to say the least. It's so deceptive. It's so dishonest. And it's it, it, people are getting hurt as a direct consequence of that kind of policy. It's a lie. And so people must, uh, people must not take statistics on either side at face value unless they've been fully scrutinized and 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 fact-checked and this is so much part of the problem about the environment in which we live now is that only one side is allowed to tell the story it's certainly in the mainstream media so uh, people must get educated must inform themselves and remain highly skeptical of anything they're told now, I've had plenty of unconfirmable reports from independent content creators and media that there have been autopsies around the globe, really, that indicate that uh, things are dramatically changing in people's biology uh, after, after death uh, or upon inspection from a coroner after death, that uh, their, their blood is different and a lot of their organs uh, have stopped functioning correctly. Is this anything that you have heard? heard about? Absolutely. One of the big problems with the design of the shots is that they administer 
a way of getting spike protein into the body. Uh, this is a highly toxic agent derived from the coronavirus, and it's something that elicits an inflammatory reaction, which, and part of that inflammatory reaction is what we call a pro-coagulant reaction. It causes the blood to clot. It causes inflammation of blood vessels that then, as part of that inflammation, allows the formation of clots on the surface. So the, the blood supply to the organs of the body is cut down, is diminished uh, when that happens. It used to be, it was thought naively, and it was a gross and totally inappropriate assumption that when they injected the vaccine, it would remain, I call it a vaccine, not a vaccine, a shot, it would remain at the site of injection. That was an assumption. Now you're taking that assumption on behalf of 7 billion people in the world, and you haven't even checked it out. But when they do check it out, they find they're completely wrong. It disseminates throughout the body, and we find spike protein in specific, in high concentrations or higher concentrations in specific organs like the liver or the ovaries in women or the testes in men. And that's not good because there it sets up an inflammatory or autoimmune condition that leads inevitably in some to damage, affecting fertility or whatever. So here we have an assumption that was made that it would remain at the site of injection that turned out to be completely wrong. And now it's too late because it's been given to a whole lot of people. And the consequence of those people, well, let's just look at Israel. And Israel looked at sperm count and motility in serial, in serial samples from healthy sperm and semen donors. And what they found is that the difference before and after the administration of the shot was a significant decline in sperm count and motility. So there's a direct effect that they never anticipate. So Tony Fauci goes out on into the media saying there is no evidence, absolutely no evidence, emphatically, that there is uh, any adverse impact of these shots on fertility. That is in taken by the public to mean, oh, so the research has been done and there's no evidence. No, it's a complete lie. Because despite leading to that inference from the public, it means in truth that no research has ever been done. But the way he says it, there is no evidence, absolutely none, that this, there's any problem with fertility. It's because the science has not been done until it is done. And when it is done, it does show that there is an impact on fertility. So it underscores the dishonesty of people like Tony Fauci and why his leaving office was long overdue. So, um, or his imminent leaving of office long overdue. So we now have the point at which we come to the point where the repercussions of this policy, this ill-advised policy, are going to come to bear upon the populations of the world. And sadly, for many people, the damage is done and uh, it cannot be undone. Now, I've had uh, some researchers on that believe that this messenger RNA uh, has the capability to basically program certain parts of our, our biology and alter our DNA in certain ways. What do you think about that? Well, I think that the, the, the rather naive um, supposition was that it can't alter the human genome. And now a variety of studies have come out showing ways in which it can do exactly that, alter the genome. Now, the problem with altering the genome in humans is that that's then passed on generationally and the damage is done. It's in the system. You can't edit it out of the system. And so that uh, we have a major problem, that if you produce changes to the chromosomal, the DNA structure of human beings or any species, then that's going to come back to haunt you over a very, very, very long time. So uh, again, the assumption, the invalid assumption that these shots cannot have an impact in that sort of generational context was again, naive and unfounded. It's wishful thinking on the part of the manufacturers. You know, it's, it's unjustifiable and it's purely wishful thinking. 
Do you think that we've been deceived about the nature, the true nature of what viruses really are and what disease is and how contagions can be spread and things of this nature? Um, not to the extent that I don't believe viruses exist. And I know there's this argument, this debate going on now that these are not microorganisms in their own right, but are some byproduct of an inflammatory or toxic reaction in the body. No, I, I don't believe that on, on multiple levels. Having studied, for example, respiratory viruses over the last 30 years, um, each has its own idiosyncratic pattern of presentation, of epidemiology, of epidemic uh, proportion of manifestation in age-specific groups in the organ-specific injury it causes. So um, given that, uh, no, I don't. That's quite apart from the characterization at a microscopic and submicroscopic level of these things. So I don't believe that. I, don't, I believe that the balance between the microorganism and the health of the individual who's infected by that mi microorganism is absolutely paramount. In other words, the two operate in tandem. We know this simply from if you give people uh, who've suffered chicken box as a child, if you give them steroids for an autoimmune disease and their immune system is suppressed, then you can develop shingles. The virus can reactivate to produce a painful rash called shingles. So um, this interaction of the state of your immune system and the ability of an organism to activate and cause harm is well known, is well established. But um, I don't believe that these are mutually exclusive arguments. Now, uh, as far as COVID, do you believe that this was an actual uh, virus that was released somehow or escaped, whether accidentally or intentionally released? Or do you think there were other kind of circumstances behind this? I think it was, well, I, I have no doubt whatsoever, knowing the history of these things and having dealt with the people involved, including the fact that Peter Daszak, who was the kind of go-between for the money, that's one of the quasi-scientists involved was used to work for me uh, for a period of time. So I, knowing the people involved, I have absolutely no doubt that it was created in a laboratory and it was done so using gain-of-function technology, which enhanced its ability to infect human species. And all of this, I have no doubt. Um, how it got out is another question. Did it escape or was it deliberately released? I don't know, and I don't believe we will ever know. Mm -hmm. But was it produced in a laboratory using funds from the United States of America at, on the approval of Tony Fauci? I believe so, yes. Now, as for as how everything unfolded from the time we first heard of COVID till now, do you think that the whatever this is, this virus is, was originally something stronger and mutated to where it didn't have as much as effect as it originally did? That's the way in which viruses operate. Let me give you an example. A success, viruses are a parasite. They depend on their host for their ability to survive and reproduce. And they don't contribute anything specific necessarily back to the host. So they are a parasite. And a successful parasite doesn't kill its host. It, what it does is keep its host alive, so it acts as a vector to infect the next person and the next person and the next person. So what viruses do in terms of their evolution, they often start by being very dangerous. And they get less and less and less dangerous as the host and the virus adapt to each other. And that means that the host, in this case, the human being, lives longer, does isn't killed by the infection, and successfully transmits it to lots more people. So this is the natural evolution of, of viruses and other infectious agents in any species. And so should we have any reason to doubt that COVID would behave differently? No, it hasn't. In fact, you're, you're right. It's become less and less and less of a severe infection over time. 
And as far as these different variants, Delta, Omega, whatever they're coming out with, is this actual mutations of this virus or is this something that uh, they're, you know, just making up on the spot? I don't know. I don't know. And I, I don't have the molecular data. to these, these various strains are sort of characterized by their molecular structure. What are the differences between this gene and this gene? The new thing coming out is monkeypox, of course, and they're trying to push for the monkeypox vaccine. I want to get your thoughts on what your idea of this monkeypox is uh, and what's going on behind this. You know, I haven't studied it at all. I'm so fed up with listening to the garbage that comes out of the government on this and from the drug companies. I am just taking no notice whatsoever of monkeypox. I'm hoping that the... The, the American public, the public of the world, are so skeptical now about everything to do with pandemics, fear, control, uh, that they treat this with, you know, the, what it deserves, and that is a great deal of skepticism. Uh, and I, beyond that, I, I'm afraid I is this a killer? I haven't heard of anyone dying, but um, I don't know. Is it just a, a rather benign, infectious process that? goes away on its own i simply don't know but uh i'm not going to pay it any attention at all yeah hey that's a good advice for everyone for sure um now what are the known components that you know of in these vaccines that would be say making people infertile well the spike protein alone could do it in the covid shot and has been demonstrated clearly to preferentially get sequestered in the ovaries and other and the testes so that alone would do it without any other uh, addition i think that we will never know until they've been fully analyzed what else is in these vaccines what turns out is there as they're looked at in different ways by independent groups there are things in there that we were never told about in the first place that we have no idea why they're there but the drug companies would put them in there for a reason. Um, we still don't know, for example, what's in the MMR vaccine. No one has fully characterized the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, which has been around for decades. So um, the idea that we're ever going to get to the bottom of what's in these vaccines is, you know, is somewhat uh, wishful thinking. Um, and certainly that information finding its way credibly into scientific journals is also going to be very difficult because the journals being influenced heavily by their advertisers and by main, the mainstream medical infrastructure are going to be reluctant to publish that information. It doesn't matter how good the science is. If someone came out and said there's this, this, and this, and this in the vaccine, and it's dangerous, what are the chances of that paper ever finding publication? And then it doesn't get published, so someone puts it out online, and then the medical profession says, oh, well, it's not published in a peer-reviewed journal. It's a catch-22 situation. So yeah. will we ever find out what's really in these vaccines? No. Now, one of the other um, types of scams, I believe, that's uh, been in our medical industry for years is the flu shot. I want to get your thoughts on what this is, what's going on behind it. Is there anything nefarious, you believe, behind the flu shot? The flu shot's been a, a disaster from the very beginning, right from the sort of the use of the, the flu shot back in the sort of 70s and 80s. Uh, um, it's really it's a really tall order to produce a flu shot that is compatible with the strain of flu that operates during a particular flu season. The surface proteins of the flu virus, the influenza virus, mutate very quickly. And those mutations will tend to, year on year, be different and define the strain that is going to be prevalent in that flu season. A vaccine against other strains is not going to be terribly helpful. What actually is helpful is experiencing flu itself, because that then does confer a greater degree of protection against other unrelated strains. And that's because the body has a repertoire of immune responses against viruses, not just antibodies. 
but the vaccine seems to produce an antibody reaction and very little else. So it seems to come down to the failure to get the right vaccine against the right strain or time. And I don't remember them ever getting it right. Every year it's, you know, five, 10, 15% efficacious, but rarely more. And so it's a great breadwinner for the pharmaceutical industry. It probably over time makes people's ability to resist influenza virus less and less and less and more vulnerable, therefore perhaps more dependent on vaccines. But it, I would say that amongst the, you know, the vaccines, it's one of the least successful. Now, let's close on this. How do you feel about the future of global healthcare and where we're headed? I mean, we have the World Economic Forum trying to push everybody to start eating bugs uh, and, you know, own nothing, be happy. All these other agendas that have kind of crept in behind COVID and has seemed to have ramped up since 2020. Uh, it seems like uh, they're trying to intentionally have a war on our health and spirituality and education and basically everything. Uh, now that we've uh, started to awaken as a, as, as a humanity, they're trying to push back as hard as they can. I don't see any any further that they can get any further than they've already gotten just because of the pushback so far how do you feel about our future i think the future is i i'm a pathological optimist and i believe the future is good i think that it's going to be a very painful period for human human beings right now for the next two or three generations but nature has an extremely good propensity has a propensity to heal itself your body has a propensity to heal itself way over and above some anything that we've ever previously anticipated so I, I I'm, I'm confident that that will happen um, one of the problems that we, we have is and, and you pointed this out there is no incentive for the drug companies to heal people to make them better to make them well to keep them well there is an incentive for them to keep them sick so that the money keeps rolling in for the various treatments that they need. So there is no, so how do you have a World Health Organization that is in bed with the pharmaceutical companies focused upon keeping the people of the world well? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. And when you come to the realization that the World Health Organization has been behind a, a depopulation agenda through uh, giving women infertility vaccines, which either prevent them having getting pregnant or abort a successful pregnancy, then you realize that that World Health Organization is not fit for a haircut, let alone to run global health policy. I saw something yesterday about them saying, we need more power. We, as a, we need to have the power to be a global health policymaker. In other words, telling countries like the US, any other country, how they should run their public health policy. Absolute nonsense. They are not fit for a haircut. And that really should act as a very, very salutary lesson for the people of the world. But no, there is no place in this for the World Health Organization having anything whatsoever to do with anyone's health, um, except at the most mundane level, perhaps providing adequate nutrition and water. But they really have proven themselves um so far from being up to the job that they're not capable of doing it so that's something we need to focus on very very important and uh but i do have a I, i'm confident that so many people are now waking up to this issue so many people are alive to it thanks to programs like yours thanks to the many many alternative media outlets that people are following in higher, greater and greater numbers because they realize, the people realize, that this is where they've been getting the truth. And from Tony Fauci and others, they've been getting lies. And so it's why there is this plummeting number of watch viewers on C, uh, CNN and other mainstream media outlets and a dramatic rise in the number of people watching the kind of show that you're putting in. So um, I think all of these things combined will make for a safer, much better informed, much better educated future for us. Very well said. Dr. Wayfield, this was fantastic. Great information. Before you head out, let everyone know again where they can find the film and anything else you have to offer. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Well, the first thing is we're in the middle of uh, pre-production on a major movie right now. Anyone who wants to join in as a partner producer to come in and help us for $20 a month, that would be absolutely wonderful. That is how these films get made. Uh, they're not made for profit. They're made to help you educate you, help you get access to the information that can change, indeed can save your life and that of your family. So please um, go to team1986, team1986.com, and you can look at our partner producer program. Go to watch the movies. They are now available at 1986theact.com, 1986theact.com, uh, and uh, they are available there for download, for uh, streaming, and for DVD purchase. So please do that. It helps us enormously in getting the next film cut and out there. Uh, so 1986theact.com, or for the Partner Producer Program, uh, Team 1986, Team1986.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Wakefield. I will actually have all those links in the description for everybody to easily click those as they're listening. And I'd love to definitely talk with you again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. See you all then.